Hem them. Oh my god, I sound like my mum. <laughs> Hem them to an appropriate length, please. <laughs> On. Hello, Zan. Hello. How are you? I'm snug as a bug in an Arctic winter. What the frig is going on? I don't usually start bang on with weather, but those winds, <laughs> they're blowing. We are officially middle-aged, having a weather chat <laughs> at the start of a podcast. Uh, it's awful. We're in lockdown in Melbourne, if you didn't already know, still. it's. I think it's our last day, but hasn't been helped at all by the fact that it's awful out there. It's like, you know, there's mini cyclones and stuff and trees it's are falling. fully gross. Fully it's gross. rank. It's rank. And I took the dog for a walk this morning and even she hated it. So, yeah, not great. Well, I've been okay because I've had to stay inside and Norman obviously doesn't need walks. But, yeah, for all the dog walkers out there, you've got to take your dogs out. It's like cyclonic feeling for you, full on. I know. I know. Well, and look, and what's become of me too? Like I, I bought a toasty machine last year last week. Oh my God. Tell um, me about your recipes. What's heaven, it? Has it I've, been? Only, I've only had the one, uh, the one recipes, uh, spaghetti from a can with cheese. That's <laughs> all I need. That's all I need. Um, and, and that's good. But then because it's been so grim inside, I've, 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 I've let down that my barrier about getting things in the kitchen that will just hang around and take up space. And I bought a coffee machine. I haven't had oh a coffee God. machine. I know. <laughs> I, I always resisted because I thought, no, nah, it's good. It means I get out. It means I see people. I support local business, all of that. If I have my one coffee a day and now I've got a coffee machine and I just spend an hour trying to make it work and I can't get it to work. <laughs> <laughs> what is my life? <laughs> Get on Twitter and help me make a coffee machine work. I love, I love that you're fully leaning into hermit life, though. I this am. is what happens in winter. But this is also what's happened with a with a pandemic too. Being in lockdown, I think it's just it's just turned me into an absolute hermit, and I am here for it, Zan. I'm totally here for it. <laughs> Thank God we have the internet. I will give you a heads up too. This week we are going to be debriefing on Mayor of East Town, but we're going to make it super easy. For you, if you don't want spoilers, we're going to put mm. it at the very, very end of the episode, like the total end. So you can listen to Bang On with confidence that we're not going to ruin your life if you haven't seen Mayor of Easttown, but you still want to watch it. But for those who have been emailing us, yeah, we're going to answer your calls and chat about some of the greatest television I've seen in years. That's coming yeah, there, up later there's on. Been, there's been a lot of, lot of emails on that note, hasn't there? It, that they're like people saying, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about Mayor of Easttown. Yeah. We also need to talk about Lord's ass. Now, Lord oh. broke the internet this week. Um, big news. It's her first new album in about four years. A lot of people are very excited about the return of Lord. She's going to have an album out called Solar Power. Mm-hmm. And she teased what I think is the album cover art for us um, online in the last day. So if you haven't seen it yet, where have you been? But also I'll try and describe it. It's oh. shot from below. She's kind of um, almost like eclipsing the sun above her and it's Lord leaping over the camera in what can only be described as a very peachy view. It's a mm. very peachy view. Yeah, it's um. and she's wearing a G-banger <laughs> of some description and it's directly up the jorts, isn't it, really? Let's <laughs> Can we say that? It's like it's like I she's jumping over did. a puddle. It's like she's jumping over a puddle and there was a camera in the puddle and it's 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 just I mean it's you know uh, it it's 
uh, I was like, what? What? I, it took me a while to understand it when I first saw it. I have to say, I was like, <laughs> what, what? Why is? Why are we getting? Yeah, I actually, and I know this sounds really wrong, but I had to look really closely because I'm like, is she wearing leggings? Is she, has she got undies on? Is it just a, a full on wedgie? Is it a g string? I'm oh. like, why am I why am I dissecting this picture and why am I looking at it for so long? I, obviously, I'm not alone. A lot of people were looking at that picture for a long time. But yeah. it's um, she's been doing a lot of squats though. I reckon <laughs> in their New Zealand lockdown, she has. I mean, it's a great ass. Let's let's just put that out there. It's it's fabulous. It looks good. If I had an ass that good, I'd probably do exactly the same. And the confidence but, and self-assuredness of her to make that the her maybe her album cover art, maybe the single, who knows? But it's it's phenomenal. Uh, did you see the memes popping up as well all over the internet? Well, I feel like this is why she's done what she's done. It's less probably like if we look at it in a in a more kind of so sociological way. It's she's created this, or her, whoever her team is, um, have created this as a way to really tap into that meme culture, haven't they? I mean, it's it's just right for for getting memed, really. Ripe? Is it ripe? It's ripe. It's ripe <laughs> like a peach. <laughs> yeah, of course it went off on the internet and I hate to say that someone's ass broke the internet again because that's been done before too. But I think in a way this is actually quite, um, it's not, because it, it was so abstract. I think yeah. I think that's what makes it interesting. It wasn't, um, it, it's, it's like a, it's just like a, an accident shot really. And and I think in, in that sense, it's quite clever. And there's a lot of like, it's not a static shot either. There's a beautiful moving shot. You can feel the movement in it. But the, oh, the like you say, that, that abstract, abstract notion of it means it can be applied to many different scenarios. One of my favourites <laughs> was um, a picture of all the characters from the original Jurassic Park just looking up at her as though she was a giant dinosaur. <laughs> the other one I saw was um, Lord on a twister board, like, you know, twister, the sheet that you put out and it's just the, the, um, the phrase was, Lord, it's your turn, Bab. <laughs> And the best one that I've seen everywhere is the the cartoon from Family Guy of yeah. Peter Griffin's great aunt who is literally all legs. She's like a head <laughs> on legs. And it's like everyone else, nothing, Lord, and then that picture. It's so good. They're so good. Yeah, right for the memeing. I'm so glad she did it. It's given us all something to, to you know, distract us this week. It's fabulous. And then the other meme that was big this week was Gladys Berejiklian um, gearing up four hours before the State of Origin, <laughs> which happened last night, four hours in the middle of a stark room prior to kickoff. Um, there's something very Blair Witch about this this photo. She's just kind of oh, facing the wall. I don't even know. <laughs> She's holding a can of not not Coke, but it's like a Diet Coke. It's so like we, a Coke, Coke no sugar, yeah. Yeah, she's just gripping it like it's a... <laughs> like I, I don't a gear stick or something. Like she's not drinking that coke, and it's she's not even open. Zoom in, it's not even open. She's got a beanie on, and then the room is just this barren room with the blinds shut because the it's still daylight. It's four hours before the the, the game starts, and she's got a tiny telly. And it's it's like I don't know who did this, but it's possibly the worst photo I've ever seen a politician release. Although it probably comes close to the Malcolm Turnbull one. Remember when he was watching. Another sporting event on telly, and it was in the lodge, I think. But there was all these, like it was grim. The lighting was awful. The 
the curtains were drawn, it was foul, there was cords everywhere. It really, it really kind of triggered me a bit when I when I saw that photo. So this was the same. It's like, what what is this? Who is this for? Who it's I reckon it's not even her. It's a scarecrow. <laughs> it's a scarecrow. She's not there. Like what? I mean, maybe that, again, maybe they've gone, Lord's got a meme, let's make a meme. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I don't, I just, what did, what, what did you think it was all about? I just think that you got to stop trying to, and I know why they do it. I know that, like, politicians enjoying sport is a way to tap into the Australian psyche and there seems to be this thing where you, you have to drink beer and you have to hold a baby and you have to love sport. But clearly there are a lot of politicians that look very awkward doing that. Mm. And on the like on the flip side, do you remember that amazing press conference, which we didn't even discuss, which happened I guess like a week ago, where um, after the Melbourne lockdown happened and South Australia had closed the borders but allowed footballers to come over in a bubble – um, the South Australian Chief Health Officer oh. was talking talking about like basically trying to explain that if you're at the football game, don't touch the ball if it comes towards you. And she very openly um, and honestly said that she had no idea what happened to an AFL game, that she'd never been, and she believes that sometimes the ball is kicked into the crowd and if the ball goes into the crowd, do not touch that ball. Now, it's rare that a politician would ever admit that they had no idea what was going on with the national game. But she did, and I say props to her. Yeah, good on you. Props to her in her non-sport-loving life because politicians don't have to be across everything. I'd rather you know about policy and your portfolio Mm. than whether or not you're going for the blues or maroons. Just quit it. It's awkward for all of us. (laughs) Although we should do our next bang-on shoot like Gladys (laughs) Berejiklian. We need a new. We need an update. We can do our COVID version. <laughs> it's just too Blair Witch for me. I know. Too Blair Witch. I know. Hey, Miv, thank you for sending me this beautiful article, which is. You sent me a couple of things this week which have really lit up my life um, mm. in a wonder- wonderful way and this was one of them. It's an article by Marnie Vanell in The Guardian called Gleefully Single Seniors chatting about those who are self-partnered and something mm. that's not just for those in their 20s and 30s, which I think we've talked about before, but for some seniors too. And this is just such a, a wonderful little capture of a handful of people's stories from all over Australia. Yeah, and it's a real reframing, I think, of of what, the future for us looks like or could look like and that it might be very, very different to what we expected or, or I guess, societal norms. And and those societal, societal norms are that you'll, you'll partner up, you'll have kids, you'll stick with that partner till the end of your life and essentially you'll have a, a partner in crime for all the, of the adventures of life. But I think increasingly as society is changing, um, as societal norms are being kind of thrown by the wayside to be honest I think and and I think that's that's a good thing because we shouldn't necessarily be limited so much to to the expectations of others and what they think you should do with your life you know it's it's up to us to choose what we do with our life and this is this is the thing I think in our 20s and 30s partnering ourselves or, or being single in that time is, is pretty normal but, but the societal norm is that you will find someone eventually and this article is just gorgeous because it had a whole bunch of older folk who basically said well I've been there I've done that it 
it's not actually the answer for me. I'm, and I'm genuinely happy to be old and single and they're mm. not lonely. I know that loneliness is a real issue and for a lot of people it's, it's a huge thing. But it's so nice to read that you can do it. Like and and it's actually beneficial to people. Like um, that had a whole bunch of people talking about that. And look, I've been thinking about it as well in lockdown. I think looking at what my future looks like, um, and and kind of, I guess you look at the future with a little bit of fear if if you're not partnered up. But in actual fact, this this gave me absolute inspiration. They're like living their best lives. Bruce Cowper, who's seventy four from Sydney. <laughs> said, I've been through so many relationships in the past because I think I was looking for someone to make my life feel full and complete. And I just came to the conclusion that I was barking up the wrong tree. If I wanted to feel content and complete, it had to come from me rather than looking for it out there somewhere or in someone else. And I loved that idea, you know. It's... Yeah, that, that idea that self-satisfaction, satisfaction within yourself and finding it within yourself instead of looking outside of yourself for it was a really big takeaway from this article. I think that yeah. we've talked before about like relationships um, as in intimate relationships not necessarily being – you shouldn't have to put that pressure on it being your everything, your best friend, mm. your partner in life, your confidant, your sexual partner. Like it's just too much pressure. But totally. take away all take away all of that and also think about what you find within yourself and – and finding that self-satisfaction, that was like, that was a really big takeaway from this piece. Also, I found the discussion around friendships being the important relationships in these people's lives. And we talked about that recently Ooh. with another great piece a few months ago about how they're just not valued in the same way as intimate relationships. And as you get older, the friendships, and even throughout your whole life, the friendships that you have, they're the ones that stick around. They're the ones that are the anchors in your life. Um, and they they do end up being for for many of us the most important relationships alongside family or maybe um, apart from family. If you don't have a family, you find mm. your own family. These become the important relationships of your life. I thought Bruce was there was a lot of women in this um, article. Bruce was one of the I think maybe the only man or maybe one of two men. Mm. But for the women, it was interesting, and I totally see this. And I know many Bang fan will be nodding their heads. It was about freedom, about not working around someone else's schedule or picking up after someone else. And this is a real thing for, you know, those, those the delegations of domestic tasks still unfairly are very weighted towards women. Especially and in the older generation as well. There are, it's, it's only starting to change a little bit now. It hasn't actually changed that much. It's only yeah. starting to change. So that older generation, they've copped it worse. They've not only had to go to work, they've had to do all the home duties as well. Yeah. And a lot of these women are kind of like, I like just being responsible for my own mess and for leaving stuff around. And I just have to, you know, it's, it's that independence. And I think mm. for, for women, um, and it, like you say, exactly for women of a particular generation where you never had that independence, because when you weren't working, you were taking care of the kids. There was always someone around and always something you had to do. Whereas men maybe had some time out where well, they, they were get going to have to the hobbies. Office. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I just thought that was really interesting that they're, you know, obviously everybody's different. This is just a handful of case studies, I guess, conversations. But the the themes that ran through the women were ones that I've seen echoed through the ages mm. are changing. But, yeah, um, totally understand why you'd want to be single. It's like, I'm too old for this shit, literally. Yeah, I'm exactly. not picking up after you anymore. No, this, yeah, I don't want your mess and I will have a glass of wine when I want a glass of wine. No questions <laughs> asked. 
and I will read a book when I want to read a book, no questions asked. And I think something else that came out of this too was that there's nothing lonelier than being in a relationship that makes you unhappy. And I think these people have all grappled with that as well and have decided that, you know, self-parenting or self self-care for yourself, not in a Gwyneth Paltrow go get a massage kind of way or put a put a rock up up yep. Um <laughs> that also was beneficial. Thing. That was a thing, wasn't it? The the vagina rock or something. That was, was a that thing. It? Yeah, that was a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um but more in that you learn to care for yourself in a way that you would care for a friend and treat yourself in a way that you would treat a friend rather than looking at the negatives of, of, of being alone. And, and I loved it. It gave me inspiration because, like I said, in lockdown I've been really thinking about, because I've had to because I'm stuck with myself, um, thinking about what the future like looks like. Oh, and, and you know, and, and making decisions in a really positive way rather than, oh, uh, this is – it's just me, this is sad. It's like, nah, this is awesome. Yeah. Move, move forward. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a brilliant piece. I'll put it in the show notes. You also sent me another great piece from The Believer, which is a great publication out of the States about old women, but particularly old women artists. Oh, yeah. This is such a fascinating read. And can I just say, like, for any Bang fam that maybe are not up to um, the news of of your background, you've actually, like, I love hearing you talk (laughs) about your background. That sounds seedy, doesn't it? Oh, I've got that too. (laughs) I love hearing you talk about art and art history because... You're always so well-versed in this because you actually studied it, right, in, at university. You've got like a background in this. Uh, yeah, I do. I, but I, I studied fine art but, I, I look, I'm, I've sort of been out of, the, out of the world for a long time and this is why when I read this article I was actually quite shocked that I hadn't thought of it this way and, you know, like I think throughout the, our history here on Bang On we've, we've discussed things like uh, the gatekeepers and who gets, to, who gets to be successful and who doesn't and I guess I hadn't really thought about it so much in the art world. I mean, I know that gallery representation of women is still appallingly low even though that has changed but, but gallery representation of women artists, particularly in our major institutions, is still subpar but this article, it's just titled Old Women, and, of course, I'm looking at it going, yes, that's me, what's going on? <laughs> but the opening paragraph just grabbed me and I thought, why haven't I thought about this? And, and look, this is not a new idea to people who've, who, who are visual artists, women who are, are artists. Um, and this opening paragraph nailed it. The best way to succeed as a woman artist is to be old, not necessarily dead yet, but with the spectre of death hanging over you. You've got to be past 70 at least. Preferably, you've been making up for a long time and it's either been gathering dust in your home, rarely if ever shown, or is exhibited mostly in alternative and educational spaces. This way, you arrive with a body of work intact. You've already found your voice and honed your craft. Your art is visionary, which means valuable and you've resisted the odds, outlasted the forces of sexism, racism and any other exclusionary isms that apply. You're a safe bet at the same time as you're a discovery. And I just, wow, it's so true. One artist in in particular, Pat Steer, I think is how you say it, and she had a documentary that came out when she turned 80 and and she discussed this saying that, that she's like an honorary man. But because Mm. of her age, um, the art world is easier on older women because they feel like, and this is her quote, you have the artwork they've never seen because they've ignored it. But you come, um, so it's like finding hidden treasure, she says, 
and then also bargain prices. Uh, they can get high quality for less money than if you were a guy and had been famous for 30 years. Like it's, that oh, it's just infuriating, of course. What? And I hadn't seen it. And, um, you know, here's another gap in my knowledge of, of the, the injustice that, that has existed and continues to exist. Yeah, well, that thing that you said about gatekeepers, because I'm the same. When I when I think off the top of my head, I'm like, and I'm no art critic. I love looking at art, but when I think of artists and famous artists, it's pretty much all male names. And this article on that tip is fantastic because it gives me a whole lot of names that I'm now going to be googling and finding their work oh. because it's a whole bunch of incredible artists that I just have never heard of before. But that that piece about the kind of you know the gatekeeper aspect of the art world. One of the other things that stuck out to me was um, the quote-unquote genius artist has toiled away for years until she is finally found or discovered by the boys' club, but unsurprisingly there is often no discussion of the forces of exclusion faced by the female artist. So this thing keeps on happening, like, like you say, where you just find all these so-called late career artists, but no one's ever saying, hang on a minute, why haven't we been looking at them before? Why do we keep on believing this narrative that, They've just been discovered at the very last stages of their life and not actually going one step back, two steps back and going, well, what is it that kept them from being shown in galleries, from being acquired by major museums and galleries and being lauded alongside um, their contemporaries? Why hasn't that happened? So I think that that really points the finger back at us, at curators, um, at the gatekeepers. I'm not calling us curators but us as audience but also the, the gatekeepers and, and and asking why does the why has this happened? Go beyond well, the oh we've just found this and ask the question of why we've just listened, why, finding why out about it now. Till an artist is usually in their eighties or in some cases in the nineties. Like this, this was one uh, one example. Um, an artist was considered not only miles ahead of her time, but um, in the opposite, they were always deemed to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. As in, they were in front of the the culture and creating stuff that was just con- contemporary and cutting edge and yet they're ignored because um, the moneyed zeitgeist, and this is from the article, is almost always white, male, straight, able-bodied and by definition women, especially women of colour, never fit into their times because the times are not made for them. Instead of confronting this fact, journalists and critics, especially white ones, tend to explain it away. And it's like, oh, God, yeah, of course, of course. This is uh, w- w- Things haven't changed and things really need to be shaken up and, and, and I can't imagine the struggle and also how frustrating it would be. I mean, it would be nice to finally make some money when you're in your 80s, but um, having waited a lifetime for that moment and mm. then being then expected to be grateful, I, I imagine you'd be a bit furious. Yeah. It's a great read. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Really fantastic read um, and like you say, Miff, a gap in our own knowledge, I think, mm. a little blind spot for us I as well. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it. Didn't even think about it. But, of course, that's how it is. Speaking of art, Miff, what a huge week it's been for Crocs, but is there ever a week where it's not huge for Crocs? <laughs> oh. Well, you sent, me, you sent me the first one, which was a collaboration. Um, explain this collaboration, will you, the first one with the, the, the rainbow colours? Yeah, well, big shout out to Becky who uh, emailed us in the bang box, alerted me to a Diplo collab. Diplo, famous producer, DJ, he has created a croc, which how do I describe it? A lot of 80s pastel colours, swirls 
there are mushrooms mm. um, stuck to the Crocs. It kind of looks like a surf brand colour scheme from the late 80s, but everything is melted. Yeah. And then they've bung- bunged some giant magic mushrooms on top just for kicks. <laughs> and in the time since Did you, I, I have. I remember what I wrote to you. I wrote when you sent it to me, I got my email out. Hang on. Whoa, it looks like. Hang on, Katy Perry's wardrobe designer from the, that really sort of bright, colourful era ate Katy Perry and spewed on his feet. <laughs> Spot on. Oh. In the time since I sent that to you and just looking at it this morning, they've all sold, sold out. out. So there are no Diplo Crocs for you. Uh, but the other thing that I saw, and again, I know that people who are Croc stands are going to be like shaking their head that I'm just coming around to this, but there's a brand called Jibbutz Charms. And so they're, oh, they're all the, the charms. I, They're the charms. But I just suddenly realised, I was like, have Crocs become the Pandora bracelet of our time? Yes. Have they superseded the Pandora bracelet? They have, yes, haven't they? Yes, they have. And that's a great comparison. It's great. <laughs> collect, collect all your little trinkets as you go. I've got to say, um, so many it's people. It's shithouse all... eclipsing shithouse <laughs> is what it is. Oh, look, no, I mean, whatever you're into, go for it, I say. So many people sent me a video of someone unboxing the KFC Crocs as well, and I actually was excited, and I thank you for sharing that with me. I loved it. I thought it was fabulous. But the higher fashion Crocs by far, of course, you're all across this. Balenciaga are back. They're back with their second Croc collab. Second Croc collab, and this one, oh, it's a good one, and it's ruffled a few feathers too. What they've done is essentially elevated the standard straightforward uh, black or green Croc, no no gibbets on it, no, no trinkets, none of that business. But what they've done is sort of elevated it literally to a, well, and it looks like what they've put underneath is um, like a, I don't know, what's a, like a star post when you plant a, plant a plant, you know, you put a stick <laughs> up it. That's what they've done. And, and they are heels. So we've got stiletto heel, stiletto heel crocs, and there's a gumboot as well. And and never did I think that a gumboot would be Balenciaga. I mean, it's a luxury fashion house, and I know that that gumboots are occasionally high fashion, but this is this is next level. I'm keen for the boot, not so much the heel. Um, I watched the parade, the Balenciaga parade, where these crocs were being worn, and um, gotta say, I thought they looked fine. I loved it. <laughs> what did not look fine, though, Zan, was the trend that's come back from the 90s, which usually came from us being out at a bush doof in large, oversized dance pants. These pants were flared and they were just all on the ground, flipping and flipping in the dirt. Oh, the mud. The mud. I can see uh, it already. That was, that was a bit I couldn't handle. I'm like, have your Crocs. Have you Crocs with heels? Have you gumboots? Everything that makes sense, but those those large pants just collecting mud and dirt on the floor. And the water soaks up the uh, leg. It's just been drawn up the leg. It disgusting, the 90s. disgusting Balenciaga. I love your Crocs, <laughs> but those pants are disgusting. Hem them. Oh my god, I sound like my mum. <laughs> Hem them to an appropriate length, please. <laughs> I know you're very supportive of fashion. Yeah. Can I just say that these Crocs go against everything Crocs stand for? Crocs are supposed to be an all-purpose, most comfortable shoe. Putting a freaking stiletto heel on them betrays their vision. And oh. Croc boots, like gum boots, fine when you need them. But imagine all day in a Croc boot. That is a sweaty foot that you've got at the end of that day. <laughs> there is no breathability in a Croc boot. Not here for it. They need to come with their own 
a tube of um, tinea cream. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. Moist. It's going to be moist oh, in God. there. Oh, God. I love it. What are you banging on about this week? Oh, um, a fabulous new telly show. It's on SBS Online and it is called The Unusual Suspects. I don't know if you've seen the ads for it. All I have, star yeah. cast and it's an absolute hoot. It's exactly what I needed in the middle of Melbourne's grim lockdown. Um, it stars Miranda Otto uh, as Love her. this high-flying, um, She's her character's revolting, uh, high-flying uh, media magnate in that she has a, a website that she's cultivated and created over the years um, and uh, she is trying to sell that website and to America because she spent all of her inheritance and it's basically just eastern suburbs, Sydney, revoltingness of the highest order, um, architecture porn coming out its eyeballs. Like the, her, <laughs> office, her office is in uh, the, the Seidler apartment, which is on across the Sydney Harbour Bridge. I don't know if you've been there, which is amazing. Her house is amazing. Peter O'Brien, her actual husband, turns up as a character and he's an artist. And it's basically about a heist. It's a heist movie. And it's, it's freaking fabulous, mostly because it... The drama is not not really about Miranda Otto, although it is, and her character. It centres around a group of Filipino women who's, who work as nannies for these horrific people um, and housekeepers and, and how they keep these horrible people's lives and families afloat. And mm. it's about uh, friendship. It's about... Um, racism. It's about the, the you know, the, the really clear differences between the haves and the have-nots, the systemic and unconscious racism within that. Um, and But it's still freaking fabulous and fun. It's amazing. I loved it. So is it a movie or a series? Series. It's like five, okay, six great. parts. I don't know. I, don't, I never noticed by the end of it. I'm just watching. So, but yeah, if you if you need a good little bit of escapism and um, some fabulous drama as well, go for it. Bring it on. SBS On Demand, The Unusual Suspects. All right, I'll put that in the show notes. Great. What are you banging on about? Uh, I'm banging on about a new show called Hacks, which you might have seen people talk about. Yeah. It's on HBO Max. It's uh, created by people who worked on Broad City and Parks and Recreation, so already my little ears pricked up when I heard that. One of the main reasons I wanted to watch this is that it stars Gene Smart, who plays... Mayor's mother, Helen, in Mayor of Easttown, uh, which we will be talking about in just a moment, reminder. But in this show, Hacks, it's a half-hour show, it's kind of like a dramedy, and she plays a legendary comedian who has a long-running residency in Vegas. So when I saw this, I just thought, oh, this is kind of like a Joan Rivers character, you know, iconic comedian who came up in the sort of 60s and 70s and now plays to, like in Vegas, largely caters to the sort of Florida crowds, um, her dates are being threatened by the casino owner who wants to refresh the talent, wants to start booking younger kind of performers. And so um, Gene Smart's character, Deborah Vance, hires this young Gen Z writer who's very self-entitled, 25 years old from Los Angeles, and hires her to work on new material. Neither of them want to be there. They're both kind of thrown <laughs> together through a matter of circumstances. I love this. They're off awful to each other and this is how the show begins. And you are going to love this myth because it's set in Las Vegas in all its OTT-ness but also that if you've ever been to Vegas, you know that like 
it's one of those places where it's kind of like schlocky and fun, but after two days or even a day and a half, you want to get the hell out of there because yeah. it's just that veneer. There's darkness crumbling oh, behind it. You know, as soon it's as gross. you get off the strip, <laughs> it's it's not a it's not a great place. It's 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 yeah. The the inequality is just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of visits a little bit of that as well. It also kind of shows the community in Vegas pretty beautifully, and it does this generational clash so so well. It's also I think a really good comment on the male domination of the comedic world, um, which is still exists. Mm. Any female comedian will tell you that. And, again, just the nuance of this character is phenomenal, you know. She's quite a hard person to like, but then as each episode goes on, you get a sense as to why she is that way and she opens up a lot more. So Jean Smart is having a moment right now. Um, everybody's loving her. It's a show that you can't watch in Australia right now. Foxtel are trying to acquire it. It's hopefully coming to Australian screens soon. In the meantime, I will just say the internet and best of luck. Yeah. Um, the final two episodes are going to be coming out in the next day or so. So it's like 10, 10 episodes, yeah, and I watched all eight of them yesterday. Oh, my God. In really? a row. <laughs> yes. That's excellent. It's so good. You will love this. I'm into it. I can't wait. Can you help me with the internet bit, please? I'll help you with the internet bit. Thank you. Um, can I just give a big shout-out to lots of other people who were giving us emails and reviews? We're getting back to you um, gradually, but the, the Bang Box has just been such a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah, and we really appreciate it. We read every one of them and it's, um, yeah, a few of you made us cry this week too. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank and you so much for out, reaching out. Shout-out to the listener. Is he in upstate New York? Who bought Crocs uh, finally after <laughs> he gave in. I can't remember that email. Who, who sent that email? That was gorgeous. Sent photos as well and I loved it. So thank you. This doggo. Beautiful stuff. All right, stick around if you want to hear some Mayor of Easttown debrief. Um, if this is your warning, but otherwise. If this is a warning. Keep, keep your, your mayor away, away from, from me. me. <laughs> Oh my god! I'll see you next week. That can be that can be out whenever we do a a spoiler. This as a warning. Keep your mare away from me. And any TV insert any TV show or or movie. Oh god! A diva who knew she'd have another life. <laughs> you, because you bring her up all the time. I know. I love her. I reckon you got stocks in her. <laughs> you bet. Hang on. All right. So, hi. Thanks for joining us um, <laughs> here in the. <laughs> is this like the? This is the. Yeah. This is the hidden track on the CD. Or if you're a Patreon subscriber, I was going to say. Episode. Yeah. The, is this like <laughs> when you make people pay and they have and they get special benefits? And this can is. Can we just take? Can, can we just say that at a Bang On, we never make you pay, we never advertise to you, and we never ask you to subs. No, we do ask you to subscribe. That's wrong. But um, yeah, isn't that nice that we're not hassling or hustling? Oh, I don't mind the hustle, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I accept the hustle. Do the hustle. Uh, well, here's a, um, here's a Mayor of Easttown debrief for you because mm. this is something that we talked about. I think I started watching it at the third week into um, it landing on Foxtel and I was hooked straight away. You started watching it that, that following week and, of course, a couple of weeks ago it rounded up. One of the greatest TV shows of the last few years and – I started watching it because of Kate Winslet, mm. first off. That was my my draw-in. And also HBO, like they've got a good rep Always for making great, great drama. But 
initially I was a little bit dubious, particularly after seeing, you know, the first episode. I just thought, okay, I've seen this before. I've heard this story before. It's, once again, it's a violent murder of a young woman in a small town. Mm. And that fetishization of violence against women, which happens so much in true crime, you know, in podcasts, yeah. in movies and stories and TV shows, I just get a bit over it and I, I can imagine that anybody who's been affected in any way by those experiences is really over it. But what the show revealed itself to be in those those next few episodes is so much more textured and layered mm. and nuanced and messy, you know. Life is messy and this was about the messiness of life. There was flawed characters, there was really fucked up dynamics between family members and there was also joy within it too. Like mm. there was so much going on, there was so much grey area in this series, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, so much grey area and, and that's what I loved about it. It was nothing in this was necessarily perfect or good, in particular Kate Winslet. Um, her character is, is one of the most flawed I've seen, you know. She's got the, she's got the roots of her hair, you know, like she doesn't get her hair done. I love that. She's she's smoking the, the vape all the time. She's, you know, she's she's quite dysfunctional in a lot of ways and, and not that that's a good thing but it actually, I don't know, you don't really see that kind of honesty of, of women's lives and mm. she just wholeheartedly embraced it as, a, as an actor and I truly believe the broken, flawed character that is Mare. I mean, Mare doesn't do great things either. There are things that she does that are, are completely unacceptable but to her core, you know, she's, she's trying to do the right thing but she too falls off the wagon as well, like when she plants drugs on her daughter-in-law's person so mm. she doesn't get to have the child that she's adopted. I mean, that's appalling behaviour. And and yet you sort of have an understanding of how she got there. And and that, uh, yeah, it, it like so much conflict within the one character but so beautifully portrayed. I think for all those reasons that I was initially kind of um, reacting at first to it, going, oh, God, we're not going to see this same old story again was flipped completely because of the power of the female characters. Like all of them were written so well and this mm. is something that we don't always get in primetime series, but they were – the female roles in particular were so strong, every one of them. Her daughter, Angry Rice, obviously Jean Smart as her mother, her friend Laurie. Like can we just talk oh, – I just Laurie. got shivers. I'm going to start crying. That final scene mm. where they are hugging and they collapse to the floor, yeah. I just – I just started bawling. I just sat there in a dark lounge room and was just crying for 10 minutes. Aww. Like it was just such a such a a release. Yeah. And every everyone knows that feeling when you just feel when you just like it's all fucked and we're here for each other and it's still fucked, but mm. we all all we can do is hold one another. Just that full and the, the physicality of collapsing yeah. and just feeling completely devastated like it's it's a it was a devastating scene yeah. and it just was so real wasn't it and the acceptance too of yeah all of the faults all of all of the bad things that everybody did and the good things and it it was just it felt like an acceptance of I don't know of, of their lives in a way, and and and, and perhaps that was the, the the nice little bit of hope at the end, as devastating as it was, 
that that they might accept, you know, them, themselves and be kinder to themselves in it. It was, yeah, it was freaking powerful. You know what I love, though? The fact that Guy Pearce rocks up and he has no reason to be there other than to <laughs> accelerate Mayor's story. Um, and, in fact, he could have been a suspect in the first couple of episodes I was thinking is this guy a suspect what's he here for but in actual fact he was only there to propel her story nothing else and then at the end he just left and I have not seen (laughs) a male role like that ever I don't think I mean that's always that's always like the the woman's role in a show you know that the the woman brings out these these narrative arcs of of the the man, the tortured man, but it was almost like a flip of that. And his guy Pierce turning up all sort of rakish and handsome, but a little bit past it. And I and you know he too is is not not a great character, but he purely just kind of gets her off, and then he gets off. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Gets her off and then fucks off. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I love that. It was like oh. I felt, and I think a lot the media blew up about that too because everyone was like so uncomfortable. How do you get Guy Pearce to play a role like that where really it's just a nothing role? And I think everyone worked out pretty quickly. It was just you play opposite Kate Winslet and what a joy that yeah. must be because she just gives this so much. It's extraordinary. It's so rare to see this kind of treatment of a, of a series, isn't it, to have it flipped in such a brilliant way and I think that's why it's been such a, a huge reaction to it. Mm. An amazing series, amazing music as well. Yep. Like the so perfectly placed. I did get very excited when I saw um, Angry Rice's Siobhan, her daughter's um, character, going into the community radio station to play with her band and then she starts dating the, the DJ. Yeah. And first of all, that DJ is way too relaxed, just like putting on a record and wandering out for like long chats. Like you don't do that. You know there's only four minutes. No one in community radio is that relaxed. I'm sorry. We've been there. <laughs> But You're also, so like, right. it just. You're so right. I was watching that going. <laughs> it made me so nervous. I'm like, it's about to end. You've got to see like what my it's dream. End. That's them, my nightmares. I have radio, it's a radio and dreams nightmare. all the time that you can't press play. You don't have enough CDs. I mean, for goodness sake, I haven't used a CD in a radio studio for about 20 years. But they're, they're my dreams. And I was watching this going, but the, yeah, the music is fantastic in it and it also, you know, it speaks to what's happening in the scenes too. There's actually, I just read this morning a really great little piece um, with Anguri in, in Pitchfork where she's talking about some of the songs she's been listening to and it talks about the music supervision in, in Mare of Easttown so I'll, I'll pop that in the show notes too. She's, but She's Australian. She's Australian, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. She's amazing in it. I love her. Yeah, her star is absolutely rising. Very, very exciting. Yeah. Mare. 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 Can we talk Mare. about the gun, though? I'm, I've got an issue with the gun, right? Oh, okay. This, this is a massive loop, isn't it? A yeah. massive loophole in the story. <laughs> right. The teenage son takes the gun and accidentally shoots, well, I don't know if it's accidentally, but shoots the victim, right? Mm. He's stolen that gun from an old man that lives nearby from the in garden, garden shed because he does yeah. the gardening for him and so he has a mm. key. He's stolen that gun. And then the old guy said, I noticed my gun was missing and that's why he alerted Mayor, who is the police, about it. But the footage shows the young guy putting the gun back straight after the murder. So Same I, night. Same night. So 
did the old man go out in the middle of the night to see if his gun was gone? I, I just felt it like that clear. was... It just wasn't clear. It felt like it was a real mistake almost mm. Mm. In, the, in the plot or something. Someone missed it. And how could they miss that? Just didn't quite yeah. fit. But anyway, that's just a, a tiny quibble, tiny quibble. Need to get a Reddit AMA with Kate Winslet. Mm. Ask Mayor anything. Yeah. <laughs> She'd tell you to fuck off. She's got other things to do. <laughs> Better things to do. Why waste your time? <laughs> Why waste your time on that? I love it. Amazing. Um, well, there you go. There's our, our subscriber special for you. <laughs> <laughs> We're not very good at this, are we? Nah. Oh, look, I wouldn't, to be honest, after that, I wouldn't pay for that. So I think it's very lucky that we don't ask for money to subscribe for our special, what are they called? Um, extra bonus bits or, yeah, no, nah, don't pay for this. <laughs> I'll see you next week. See you next week, Zan. Love you. Take care. Love you too. Bye. bye. on that kind of fetish fetish sorry it's hard to say that fetishization yeah that fetish fetishize you can do it okay i'll, I'll, I'll change it. um you no can, i can't you can do it you can do it <laughs>